Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. We are going to continue the road trip today through Scripture. We're in week four of week 13. So, so like I said, we're starting in Genesis, ending in, Reve- in Revelation. So we're on track to do that at the end of August. Uh, so before we get started today, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And, and God, we, we want to not just attend a church service today. God, we, we want to hear from you. I know that there are many people here, God, that need a word from God today. So I pray that you would speak to them. Um, God, even if it's not something that I say, but it's something that you personally say to them, I pray that they would open up their hearts to receive what you want to do and what you want to say today. God, we love you. We praise you. And thank you that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to win the Super Bowl this year. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, hey, where's the the amens there? Okay, I didn't get a lot of amens there. You, you guys got smart on me, and y'all were like, I ain't saying, I ain't saying so be it to that. I'm saying amen to that. I love you, whoever you are. Let's make that man elder here. I don't know who it was. No. Um, if you were God, it's kind of a funny statement. If you were God, and uh, you had to choose somebody to be your mouthpiece, to, to say, I'm going to speak through this person, and I'm going to use this person to set free millions of people. This person is going to go and speak to a huge political leader, a huge ruler. And this person is going to go and speak and be the one that is going to be your mouthpiece for God. I don't, I don't know about you, but let me tell you who I wouldn't pick. A guy that didn't know his father, a murderer, fled the punishment of his crime, went to a different country to flee the penalty of murdering somebody. Someone that battles depression, asked God to kill him, had an anger problem, and eventually never fulfilled what he was called to do. I can tell you that's who I wouldn't choose. But at the same time, that's who God decided to choose. It's funny how many times our perception of who God would pick is different than our perception, right? Because typically we judge on the outside, right? How good do they look? How eloquently can they speak? How, how commanding are they? You know, what kind of natural gifts they have when we actually see a pattern in Scripture. God is more concerned about what's going on the inside rather than someone's physical gifts. God sees what, what, what we can't, can't see and chooses according to something other than typically we would actually say God would choose from. So we're, we're going to actually look today at our first character in the Bible, Moses. Moses. Now, um, I don't know about you full confession here, but Moses is my favorite Bible character. And it's not because, you know, Moses, um, you know, led millions of people into the promise. You know, it's, it's not because Moses was the Ten Commandments guy. It's not because Moses, um, you know, what was one of the people talked about in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. 
Moses is one of my favorite Bible characters because he stuttered. And I'm like, that's my boy right, right there. It's like me and Moses, man. I'm, I'm like, Moses is my boy. Because what I find in his story is I find part of my story. Where God told Moses, he said, hey, I'm gonna, I want you to go and speak to Pharaoh. And Moses, in, 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 in his talk with God, recorded in Exodus 3, Moses is like, God, do you know who you're choosing here? Are you smoking some weed, God? Is that what you're doing? Okay. Are you a little bit high here? What the, what, what the world's going on? You want to choose a person that stutters to go and speak to this big, big Pharaoh guy. Like, you want me to go and speak when the thing that I feel least capable to do is speak. And, and I, I can relate with that. That, like, that is like, I, I just like read that and I'm like, that is my story. Like, God, you want me to, you know, God, like, you, like, God, you see this, right? Like, you want me to go and do something the rest of my life that I feel completely incapable of doing? And God's like, yes. I find in Moses' story, my story. And, and that is what we find whenever we read and study characters in the Bible, not just con, con, concepts, we have to say what part of this person's story relates and where, where do we find comparisons with our story? And whenever you study a Bible character, you've got to ask three different questions. Num number one, what does this person's story teach us about God and his character? Second, what does this person's story teach us about humanity, how the world is? And what does this person's story teach us about ourselves? Because I think if we're not careful, we can look at Bible characters, people in the Bible, and we can look at them as kind of being like Spider-Man, Superman, and Wolverine. You know, God just gave them this supernatural power where, you know, they could, they, they just got these supernatural skills that no one else had. And, and because they had those supernatural skills, they were able to do things that we're not doing. And say, oh, that's them. It's not us. But what you see in Scripture is God God took ordinary people to do extraordinary things through. Not even because of them, but because God wanted to actually use people and partner with, with people to help see his plan happen. So we need to make sure that we don't see the Bible and the people in it as just kind of these far-off characters that we can't relate with them. Because I don't know, what I love about Scripture is, is that it doesn't hide its heroes' faults. It doesn't hide it. You know, typically, you know, you say, okay, we don't want to let everyone know how bad this person was. If you see a list of who was in the Bible that God used and a list of what they did, it'd be like, God, are you serious? But what we see and what our first point is, what does, what does Moses' life teach us about God? I think the first thing we see is God is in the business of using broken, messed up people to fulfill his plan. Like, if you want to see, a, like, a character trait of who God uses to fulfill his plan on this planet Earth, let me tell you what it is. It's broken, messed up people. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 here. This is kind of the beginning of Moses' story. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, he's, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and laid him down in, and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? 
Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. So we, we see here Moses was a murderer. And, th- and, and this was before God called him to go and free God's people. We see Moses had a history of being a murderer. I, you know, it's like, I, I don't know about you, but not the first thing that I would look for in a character of who am I going to be my spokesperson to go and set my people free? Ah, uh, yeah, murderer. Perfect. No, but what, what, do, what do we see? What does his story tell us? God is in the business of using broken, messed up people. But Moses isn't the only one. Think, think about this. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Hey, the Bible said it. Let's tell me what the scripture says. I'm preaching the Bible here. Okay. Says she was not a good sight to see. I'm just telling you what scripture says. It's the inspired word of God. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah was too young. David and adultery. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Aren't you glad I don't do that? Jonah, Jonah ran from God's from God's will. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying with Jesus there. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Lazarus was dead. God even spoke through a mule. If God can speak through a he can speak through you. He can even use you. But what we see, God is in the business of using broken, messed up people. Why? Because at the bottom line, we're all broken and messed up. And you're, you're about the most broken and messed up people. If you're not broken, if you don't know you're broken and messed up. Right? Because what ultimately breaks us, it's sin. And sin is simply turning our back on God and doing what we want to do. And Scripture tells us clearly that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Perfection is not a requirement for God to use you. The only perfect person that ever lived was Jesus. And as we follow the perfect one, we are perfected. And therefore, if we just start the journey of following him, I believe God can use anybody, no matter their past, no matter where they're currently at. We need to stop waiting to say, God will use me when. And we need to start saying, God will use me now if we start praying dangerous prayers like, God use me. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. Whenever you say, God, use me. Why? Because it then it, it activates your senses to say, okay, God, use me. So now you're open and looking for opportunities for God to use you. Maybe it's, you know what? God's going to tell you to give that person 20 bucks. God, I only got 20, 20 bucks. But now you're like, stink. I told God to use me. Stink. Yeah, stink. Like, I told God to use me. And now he's asking me to do something to be used. Maybe it's, you know what, I need to volunteer time here. Well, God, I'm, you know, I'm already saying, no. If we pray the prayer, God, use me, watch out to see what God will do. But we got to stop saying, ready, set, go. It needs to be go, set, ready. Typically, God, the people that God called never felt ready. It's just like parenting. It's so funny. People, and even I said this, I'll have a kid when I'm ready. You ain't ever ready. Quit lying to yourself. You're not ever ready. You're not ever ready to parent. The only way you can actually get ready to parent is to parent. So you don't know yourself until you have a kid. 
and you're up at 2 a.m. trying to find out what the, why the heck this baby's crying. You know, like, Jesus, take, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take this kid. You know, it's like, Lord, help me, right? But we, we've got to switch. Why? Because God uses people to fulfill his plan. We can pray. We can beg God. We can, we can come in here and pray all day, but typically God works not just through prayer. God works through action. God works through people. And many of the prayers that we pray, we don't just need to be praying them. We need to be the answer to those prayers. But that takes us understanding and realizing God works through people. And he works through broken and messed up people. And Moses is an incredible example of this. I mean, what if we actually prayed that prayer, God use me? And I know you're not perfect. I know you question your relationship with God. I know you're, you're not you know, a Bible scholar, you can't name all 66 books of the Bible, you can't tell me the Romans road, you know, I, I know there's things you won't be able to tell me. Let me tell you this, start where you are. Start small. You might say, I can't give 20, 20 bucks. You probably could, just don't go to one Starbucks trip. You say, you know, because what we say is, we say, when I get here, then I'll start doing when I get a lot more money, then I'll start giving. When I get more time, then I'll start serving. When I, I this. And what I'm just saying is just start. Just start. Act your way into feeling instead of always feeling your way into acting. Right? We always say, I got to have the feeling. When many times your feelings follow your actions. And if you start to do, then you'll be like, oh man, I'm starting to see the benefit here. But God is in the business of using broken and messed up people to fulfill his plan. And Moses is an incredible example of this. That right there answers the question, what does it tell us about God? We see that God is in the business of using broken and messed up people. But what, is, what does Moses' story tell us about humanity? I think it tells us this, that we are Israel. God tells Moses to lead millions of people from one place to this place. And in this whole, like, I, like that just like stresses me out because I got three kids and like going to Nag's Head with three kids feels like I'm trying to take Israel. <laughs> and I mean, it is, it is crazy, man. Like trying to get three kids loaded and fed and not killing each other, not, not, not fighting trying to get them on the same page. And it's like, we have three kids and we feel like we're moving our whole home just to nag's head for just a couple days. Like, I can't imagine trying to lead millions of people that have relationships, feelings, emotions. They need to be fed. They need to be, they, they, they need water. They're, you know, they're sleeping with each other, having babies. It's like, they need to go to the back. I'm just thinking of all these complexities of trying to get millions of people from one place to the next place. And Moses is the one that's called to lead these people. And, I mean, Moses is just encountering a bunch of just, like, parenting issues, leadership issues. But what we find is that Israel is just like, Israel was hungry, so God fed them from the sky. And then they said, God, we're sick of this food. They fed them what? Manna. Manna actually means, in Hebrew, what is it? <laughs> that's what that word means. They're like, what is it? but it tastes good. They, they needed water. God provided them water. It, but, but it was like, then what you saw is 
Scripture says they became stiff-necked and rebellious. And what we actually find here, Exodus chapter 32, verse 1 through 4, says when the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountains, so basically Moses went up to meet with God, get, get God's word, and then he was going to come down and tell the people what God said. But while he was gone, this is what was going on. They gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't, we don't even know what's happened to him. Aaron, um, Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Israel had this problem of making idols, of taking good things. Gold wasn't bad, but they took good things and formed it and made a God thing, which makes it a bad thing. Now, obviously, in our culture, we're not going around bowing down at, at golden calves, right? We're not going, going down and bowing down at, at certain gold statues, but I think in our culture, we bow down to different things. We might not straight up go and bow down, but with our time, our talent, and treasure, it shows what we actually worship and what we idolize. And typically, it's at the altar of money. It's at the altar of relationships. It's at the altar of security. It's at the altar of our kids. Tim Keller actually said this. He said, the human heart is an idol factory that takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety, and fulfillment if we attain them. I think if we're honest, you know, this is such a true statement. What Keller said here is that in our hearts, we have a tendency and a proclivity to take good things that God gave us to to steward and take them and make them God things that we use to give us what we want instead of using it to glorify God. And that is what God calls us. He calls us stewards. We don't own anything, y'all. Everything we have, the breath we breathe, the strength we have, the home we have, the car we drive, the money in our bank account right now, at the time, the talent and treasure that God has, has given you, you are a steward over, meaning a steward manages what has been given to them for the benefit of the one that entrusted it to them, not for the consumption of the one that gets it. And whenever we take a good thing and make it a God thing, we end up saying, we now own this, it's mine. And whenever we lose it, then we, then we, we, we start to say things like, how am I going to go on? How can, how can I make it? You can indicate what an idol is by, if you thought if, or by thinking about if you lost it, you would lose security, you would lose hope, you would lose peace, you would lose joy. You would lose all of these things that God himself is supposed to give you. And you can tell what you idolize by, which, by when you think of losing it, you think you're going to lose it. You think, if I lost that, how could I go on? If I lost a certain kind of house, if I lost a certain kind of car, if I lost a certain number in my bank account, if I lost this relationship, how could I go on? on. That might be a deep indicator that that thing has become from being a good thing to being a God thing that you're building your life and foundation on. 
And Jesus said this. He said, we're going to build our lives. He kind of gave two choices. He, 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 he told a parable. He said, you're going to build your life on sand or you're going to build your life on rock. He said, if you build your life on sand, he said, when the storms come, not if the storms come, but when the, the storms come, what you've built on will be shown. When tragedy hits, when storms come, when pain happens, the foundation you built on will be clearly seen. And if you build on sand, Jesus says it's shifty ground, that when the storms came, it destroyed the house because it wasn't built on a solid foundation. But it said for those that built their house on the rock, and, and what Jesus said is, I'm that rock, build your life on me. So when the storms come, you are able to withstand it because you're building on somebody and, some, and something that is eternal and not temporary. But what we end up doing whenever we start making good things, God things, we create this idol factory in our heart that we end up now misusing what God has told us to steward. Now we're taking ownership of it, thinking, I, I, I did this on my own. I was the one that got me here. And we end up slowly, slowly, slowly turning from the source of everything we have. This was Israel's cycle, y'all. Like this was the cycle. You want to read the Old Testament? I know the Old Testament's hard, hard to read, isn't it? At least for me. I mean, you got these big books and through all of this like history stuff. Let me sum up history books in the Old Testament. Ready? It's Israel's cycle. God blesses them. Israel says, thanks, God. Israel gets prideful. It's mine, God. God says, wrong. <laughs> it's mine discipline. Israel repents. Is, and then it starts that process over. Isn't that us? That's us. But do you know what breaks the cycle of that pride, breaks the cycle of, uh, of idolatry? It's surrendering your life to Jesus. Why? Because yes, the idol factory is in our heart, but what did Jesus come to ultimately change? He came to ultimately change our hearts, not just our behavior. True, be, true behavioral change begins in the heart and moves its way outward. And Jesus, he can stop this idol factory going on in your heart whenever you surrender your heart to him and start to build your life on the foundation, Jesus Christ. We can actually see here in Moses' story, not, not just God, the God uses broken people, not not just that we see in his story that people are prone, like all of us here, to make idols, good things, to God things. But we also see here that in Moses' story, it tells us a lot about us. Not just about God, not just about humanity, but it tells us a lot about us. And what does it say about us? God, it says this. We typically find God in the desert, the desert places. We typically find God in the desert places. What we see in Moses' story here in Exodus chapter 3, and this was right after he killed the, um, you know, the Egyptian, and he fled to the desert. He was like, I need to get out of here. He was like, I'm running. And Moses finds himself in, in the desert tending sheep, just like floating, tending sheep, Gets, gets a wife, lives his ordinary life. But in the midst of his wilderness, in the midst of his desert season in life, God appears to Moses. Isn't it, isn't it funny that God appeared to Moses not when things were going good, but when things were going bad? 
What I always find is that many times we are so much more susceptible to listen and hear and obey God's voice when, when we are in a desert season, when, when we're in a barren season, when, when we are at a point where all of our comfort and security has been stripped and we are just there and all we've got that point is literally God. Like, I don't know if you've been at this point where you've been so broken, you've been so hurt, you've been so messed up, you've been in a desert season that it was like, you're like, okay, God, I'm all ears. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're, I don't know why I'm at this place, but I don't know what you're trying to teach me, what you're trying to show me, but my ears are open. And Moses finds himself in this place of normalcy, a barren season. He was raised in Pharaoh's home. He was raised in royalty. He was probably going to grow up to be first, second in command. And God takes him from that to the wilderness. But I, I find it interesting because I, I always wonder, would, would Moses have listened to God when he was in the palace? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. I think Moses was only going to hear the call of God, was only going to hear God's voice when God took him out of his comfort into a discomfortable season. And honestly, I believe for many of us here, maybe you've been in that season and you've gone out of that season. Maybe you're in that season right now where you feel like you're in a barren season, you're in a desert season. You're asking God, where are you? Why am I here? And let me tell you why you are in that season. You are not there because you disobeyed God. You are not there because God doesn't love, love you. You are in that season because I believe God wants to perfectly place you and prepare you to hear from him. C.S. Lewis said this. I love this quote. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts at us in our pain. It's his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. I, I don't know about you, but the times that I have been most zoned in, locked in on really hearing what God is telling me and what God is saying is at those moments where I am at my most desperate, where I'm at, my, where I'm at my, my most broken moments, where my sensitivity to God's voice is so strong and I have to move past this. I'm here because God doesn't love me. I'm here because God's punishing me too. Now, God, what in the world are you trying to speak to me? What we see in this story is Moses speaks to him in the burning bush. Exodus 3, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a burning bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So this... So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Isn't it funny he called what, how God was trying to speak to him a strange sight? Isn't it true many times the way that God speaks to us looks like a strange sight? Why, why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord God saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you Hold on, God, you're sending me. Do you know who I am? I'm broken. I messed up. I murdered someone. Are you, are you crazy? You're sending me. Now I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. In his driest, most broken season is when his voice was most attuned to God and God spoke to him. I wonder right now if you are in a desert season, a barren season, a season where you're like, God, where are you? I wanna challenge you not to blame yourself for this season that you're in. I wanna challenge you to get yourself ready to receive what God wants to share with you. Because in your pain, in your season of misery, in, in your season of hurt, I believe this, that you are more open to what God is saying. And if you would just open up your ears and, and turn it from why am I here to God, what are you trying to show me? He will speak to you in your wilderness season. And that is what we see here, Moses. I find it funny that Moses was fled to the desert. And Jesus, in Luke chapter four, was led by the Holy Spirit to the desert. It says that before Jesus started his public ministry, it says the Holy Spirit led him to the desert. You know, sometimes God will intentionally lead you into a, a desert season. Moses fled there, but Jesus was led there. And what, and what was he? Jesus, he was in the desert and he was tempted, but he was being prepared and trained for the next season of ministry that God had for him. It, it was like, hey, I'm gonna, teach you and train you. You're going to have to say no to all of these temptations. But it was says after he got done with his desert season, the scripture says that Jesus came full, came out of that season, full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Essentially saying he came out stronger, better, wiser, stronger, and ready for the calling that God had on his life. Don't neglect or waste your desert season because it is where God is preparing you and prepping you and strengthening you for you to come out of that season stronger, better. I, you know, I, I, I feel today, marriages, you feel like you are in a desert season. You feel like you're at that point of giving up. And what that is, your biggest breakthrough always happens right after your greatest point of resistance. You might feel like, you know, your feelings don't feel it. You know, you might have talked to your friends and said, yeah, you just need to dump him. You need to dump her. You just, you just need to move on. You know, you know, he's done this. He's done that. And you feel like you've got all of this resistance when in reality, what you're in, you're just in a dry season. You need to get through it. You need to see it through. Why? Because on the other side of, of that dry season is a season of full of the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to come out greater, stronger, and better on the other side. But the key is to not give up in the desert seasons because you will want to give up in the desert. Why? Because it's easier. Yeah, it's definitely easier to just give up and quit. But you also quit on God's voice and the blessing that God has. So I, I want to encourage you today, challenge you today, marriages. Maybe you're at that point in your walk with God. You're like, I don't know, man. You feel like you're, God, you're, you're not hearing God. You read the Bible, it's dry. You talk to the other people about the word and you're just not feeling, you know, sometimes when you don't feel it, but you 
but you, but you still do it. That's not called being fake. That's called being faithful. Do you get that? Sometimes when we don't feel it, but we still do it, we say, oh, you're just being fake. I'm not being true to myself. And you know what you're doing? You're, you're being faithful. You're letting your actions lead your feelings instead of your feelings leading your actions. I want to challenge you with that, y'all. Don't neglect your desert season. Use it because it's there. God will speak to you. There, God will, pre- there that God will prepare you for the next season that God has for you. Pray, church. God, we, we love you. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for this time. We thank you, God, that you use broken and messed up people like me, like us, to do incredible things for you to fulfill your plan. And God, we are your plan. The church is your plan. We are the hands and feet of Jesus called to share and show the love of Christ. So God, I pray for each person here, God, as we go and as we sing this declaration of do it again. I I pray that each person here would know God wants to use them. They would know there's a purpose in their wilderness right, right now that they would know that, that God, you want to break the cycle in their life of consistently taking good things and making them God things. God, that they would see themselves in Moses' story, but not just listen to it, not just hear about it, not just learn about it, but say, how can I take what God did in his life and apply it to my life to see what God has called me to do accomplished? I really believe Lifehouse Church that, that this is that we, we need to get that we are God's plan. The church, God works through people. I don't understand it because I know me, if, if I was God, I'd want to do it by myself because I could do it quicker and better and faster. But God typically works through broken, jacked up, messed up people because he wants to show his power. He wants to show his goodness through them. And I believe that this is a word, not just for us individually, but for us corporately, that God is gonna take all of our brokenness, all of our messed upness, all of our past experiences, our current wildernesses that we're all in, God's gonna take all of that and use it to not only reach individual people, but to reach the city for his glory and for his honor. And why? Because God works through people, broken, messed up people. Would you stand with me, Lifehouse. We're going to sing, and we're going to sing this declaration. What this song simply tells us is, God, you've been good in the past, and let me tell you, if you're in this room right now, God has been faithful and good to you, and if you're standing here today and you feel you're in that desert season, I'm going to believe, and I'm going to sing for you. I'm going to be like, God, do it Do it again. Show your faithfulness again. Show your goodness again. As we sing this, let's let's just not sing it. It's like, yeah, God, do it again. Now, hey, what, what do you need God to do in your life again? To show himself faithful, to show himself good. What cycle do you need to get out of today? Whatever business you need to do with God today, we're we're gonna sing this song and let's respond to God's word with 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 clarity, with faith, with action. And let's see God move. Sing it, church.
Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.